It was funny, Matty said to me the other day, he's like, he's like, Dad, we better not have to get pulled out by Banky because I'll never live the shame down. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he's a Toyota boy. That's it. Well, have you got lockers? No. Ah, I do. So I might be doing the pull-in. <laughs> Welcome to GCP Live, episode number 41 for the 2nd of June, 2023. GCP Live is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we take a look at Google I.O. and all the cool stuff that came out of that. Did phishing just get a little bit easier? We get rid of those pesky passwords. Who needs them anyway? Plus, AI, 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 generative AI, generative AI, generative AI, 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 it uses AI to bring AI, 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 AI. But before we get to any of that, I'd like to introduce the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How are you going, Ian? Good, thank you. How are you doing, mate? Good, mate. Good, 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 good. And how's your week been? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been pretty quiet around here. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've been on leave this week. Yeah. Oh, nice to have a little break. But uh, it was a bit funny, actually, because when we did that um, uh, Bruno Aziza show, that was we actually recorded that a little bit earlier um, than we normally record. So it's actually been, what, three weeks since we did a recording, really? Yeah. yeah I, was, I was sitting there last Thursday going, I'm sure we've got a podcast recording this week. And we didn't. It was... <laughs> No. It's that, the week in between. That's right. And we actually were able to skip one of our production meetings. Oh, okay. Get a little bit of a break. And now it's like we're going to get back into the mood again. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Um, but uh, you, were you up to any tech adventures while you're on this little uh, hiatus of yours? Well, look, I've not a huge amount. I've been uh, I've been playing with a little bit of um, electrical stuff in mm. in uh, my camper trailer, and and I've done a little bit of distro hopping on my laptop. So ah. uh, I'm now running RHEL nine on my nice. laptop. Nice. Uh, for those of you who don't know what RHEL is, it's Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, I signed up to the Red Hat Developers uh, subscription, and they give you a copy of RHEL um, to use wherever you want. So nice. I'm using that. It's super stable. Um, it actually uses Pipewire, and it it's as clear as a bell. It sounds beautiful. Right, so using Pipewire right now. Using Pipewire yeah, right, right now. And your sound card, you're on the Sapphire, uh, Focusrite Sapphire, is that right? Or yep. the, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And all, yeah, because that would be driver compliant USB, I'd imagine, so it would be why it's working. Yeah, um, whereas using it in, I, I tried Pop OS, I tried Ubuntu, I tried Fedora, None of them worked with Pipewire natively. I had to revert to Pulse Audio or I had to put custom config into Pipewire. So I don't know what Red Hat's done, but I love it. It works. Yeah, it, it does. Sounds, sounds great. I, um, I, I don't know my tech adventures. I've been so busy. Um, I, you know, I, I pulled some part off, parts off my four-wheel drive and started painting those. You know, that's, that's not really a tech adventure. It's a painting adventure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, I, I uh, sat another cert, passed a cert. Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Yeah, the, the, the professional security, uh, prof- the, the Google Cloud professional security engineer. That's the one. Yeah, That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, are we, what are we saying about that exam? I look, it, um, now normally up to now, I'd, I'd use the Cloud Guru, right, to study for, but they hadn't refreshed their courseware for this version of the exam. And I wasn't too worried about that. I, I read a couple of posts saying, yeah, but, you know, probably 60, 70, maybe 80% of it's still valid. Um, so I, I quickly went through their, their training exam to do it. But what I actually did use this time is uh, Skills Boost. Okay. Um, now, look, I have been critical of Skills Boost before. And I think I mentioned this last time as well, but they've really lifted their game. It's, it's getting better and better all the time. Um, I uh, I didn't do I didn't use the quest so much. What I did do was the um, the pathway that they have for the security uh, professional, and I went through all their um, uh, instructor led content, and then I went back and did what they call the um, the diagnostic questions. Okay. Because uh, I didn't want to spoil the diagnostic questions first. Now, the way they angle it is like, do the diagnostic questions, find out what you get wrong, and then go study that. 
Well, I'd rather do it the other way around. I'd rather do the study, right, and then do the diagnostics questions. And if you, hopefully I don't get anything wrong and I'm all good, right, <laughs> which, yeah. which is more or less what happened. Um, if I got something wrong at that point, then then I might go back and review it. But, uh, you know, why why give yourself that extra step if you don't have to? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I've been doing the uh, the network engineer uh, pathway on SkillsBoost at the moment. Yeah. And, yeah, I did those diagnostic questions and I, I got a couple wrong. And I, I struggled to figure out why I'd got a couple wrong because the and it was like, the, hey, thank you. Why did I get this wrong? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, thank you. What's what's going on here? Am I missing something? And yeah, it was the 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 answer that they gave you um, in response to your incorrect answer was uh, not at all helpful. No. So I yeah. eventually figured it out. It was yeah. I don't think that. Yeah. So the yeah they diagnostic questions that they're not going to. It's not. They're not intended for you to study with those questions. They're intended to test your knowledge. So they're not going to give you what the correct answer should be in for those no. questions. Um, no, but it would have been nice, really, if they if they gave you like a link to the doco to say, "Hey, you really need to go and review um, GKE VPC native clusters," or you need to go and review whatever whatever other thing it is that you got wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a link to the doco so that you've you can start looking at it because that one that one stumped me for hours and hours and hours <laughs> trying to figure out where I'd gone wrong. Like it's like going down to have I worked out this subnet masking correctly? Because <laughs> like I can I can turns do out, it in my head. <laughs> turns out, well, turns out you had in one of them, but anyway. <laughs> well, no, I hadn't. I hadn't worked out the subnet masking correctly. I just put the wrong octet in place. The wrong octet in place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, never mind, never mind. But uh, you know, you, you you don't have to get hundred percent. That's what I no. that's what I told myself all the way. You don't have to get hundred. We don't know what it is you got to get to pass, but you don't have to get a hundred percent. And um, you know, as long as you know enough, then you'll you'll get through. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, my strategy was that uh, I did review some of the stuff on the Cloud Guru as well, and I used the sample questions that they gave. Because um, here's the thing: when I when I started doing the the sample questions, the sample exam questions, I started thinking to myself, these are very, very familiar. These seem all very familiar. And, of course, they were from when I did it like two years ago, so they hadn't really fully revved it yet. They had, there was yeah, a few right. new questions in the exam, but the sample questions are pretty much the same as the ones two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So yeah, if you've got the security cert now, you should be right if you go and sit it. Nice. Yep. I don't. I want to get the network one. Get the network one first. Yeah, that's the hard on. one. That's the hard one. In fact, I, oh, you're studying for it now, but I, I, I would say probably do them the other way around. Do the, do the security one first because there's some concepts in the security one that are like mm. they step up in the network one. But if you're familiar with networking, then it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Uh, what else do we have during the – oh, Google I.O. Can't go oh, without yes. mentioning Google I.O. Yeah, that was that was what three weeks ago now. Yes, that's right. It was about to come because we did the Bruno Aziza episode a week before our usual recording date. Um, It was about to start the following day, so we haven't had a a regular um, episode uh, since then. Um, Yeah. So, um, (laughs) you know, let's just let's just say right now, all the things add Gen AI. That's it. All the things Gen AI. <laughs> I love the opening of the the Google I/O keynote, um, the YouTube video that that uh, you sent me the link of, and, and right at the start, it's like three different people saying AI, and I'm like, really? Is that the entirety of Google I/O? Thankfully, it wasn't. That that was just a very small part of it, but but uh, but certainly when you open it with AI, AI, AI. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we saw phones. We've got so the we've got the Pixel. So the lineup now is the Pixel Seven Pro, the Pixel Seven, and the Pixel Seven A. That's right. And yeah. and a new one that's coming out, the foldable. And the foldable and the tablet. Now my wife just I'm- just got herself a Pixel Seven A. Um, she's she's loving it. I've got a Pixel Seven, loving it as well. Yeah. Um, the tablet, uh, the Nest tablet. My wife's actually got one of those on order as well. She, she's doing a little bit of uh, end of financial year purchasing. Lovely. Uh, so I'll be able to give you a little report on that one when it comes. 
Uh, and if you buy that now, and the re- this is the reason we did get it, is you get a $250 voucher, and uh, I'm probably going to, I don't know, get myself a Pixel Watch or something like that. I don't know. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the tablet. It comes with the dock that's a speaker as well. So yes. it sort of turns it into a, a Nest Hub. Exactly. So it goes into the dock and it becomes a hub. Mm-hmm. Take it off the dock and then you can log into it and use it as a Pixel tablet. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing I saw on the Google Store today, I was actually having a look at them, at the tablets today. Um, but I saw on the store is they've got a dock for the Pixel phone as well. So you can put it like a nightstand dock that charges it, but turns it just into a clock and leaves a display on all the time. Right. So it's an inductance charger or is it? Yep. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah chi, right. chi charger, I think they call it. Yeah. Yep. yep. No, because no, I'm still charging the old daggy way with the old daggy cable, you know? Oh, yeah. You and me this, both. This, this is where I am. I'll wear the, <laughs> the USB-C cable uh, cord yeah, out before, um, before I wear the phone out. Yeah. I am missing that uh, 3.5 mil headphone jack, though. I still haven't managed to buy myself a pair of Bluetooth headphones, but we'll get there. I, I'm lucky. I've got my. I've got a set of Bose over ears that I used to. Um, that I used when I was flying all the time, and uh, they're they're amazing. But yeah, I I miss just having a normal set of headphones that I mm. can throw on my ears. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else did we see? We saw uh, Gmail help me write which is basically a generative AI thing. Yeah, so that that's a bit more of the BARD integrations. That's right, uh, yeah. A bit like, a bit like what Microsoft's doing with, um, with uh, what's that search engine? They've got Bing. Bing, yeah. They've got Copilot in, uh, integrated in there. Yep, yep. Oh, let's not go down the Microsoft rabbit no, hole. No, let's, and all not, the let's stuff leave that alone. A lot of stuff came out of there as well, and they're, they're really amping the game up as well, right? They've got oh, – yeah. it's tit for tat at the moment between the two. Yeah, very much so. But I like that. I like that Bard's now supporting more than twenty programming languages. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. You, can you were paste, just telling me about the debugging thing. Yeah, you can just paste a block of code in there, and it'll it'll essentially debug it for you. Which is with, with which explanations. Is awesome. with, with yeah, with yeah. explanations, and they'll yeah. give you a link to where they found a similar block of code that shows you the explanation. Or you can get it the, the same as I did when Bard first came out in Australia. And we got early access to it. I um I asked it to write a little bit of JavaScript for me, and it does that, and it'll give you citations as to where that's come from. Mm. Mm. Well, that's which good I think then, is fantastic. It? Yeah, because if it's taken it from something with a GPL license, then it really should be credited, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's and it's got dark theme now. Yeah, which okay. makes me happy. <laughs> and you can do pictures, as I was you showing can. you here before. Yeah, yeah. Y sixty two patrols that look good. This here, right here. That's, there's no <laughs> such thing. Bard, you can't do this. There's no such thing. <laughs> well, Bard says so. <laughs> um, what else did we see? Oh, in Maps Immersion Mode. You can go, you can fly down into Google Maps and get a street level view and, yeah. and go on. Now, I've always, route, tried, yeah. I've always tried to do this, you know, like you just click on the button. Oh, where am I going to go? Because it's good if you're going to drive somewhere if you've never been there before and you want to see the street before you get there. So you know what to expect, and you click on the button, do, 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 and you look at the photos. But no, this is all all seamless now, literally seamless. Gone are the days of having the Refidex in the back of the car, That's, or the UBD, or whatever it is that you've got in whatever state you're living in. <laughs> now, I I, uh, I don't have a link for this, but if you go do a bit of internet sleuthing, you'll find there's a. We're, we're all aware of what Unreal Engine Five is, right? You yep. Unreal. Yep. I certainly am. There is a plugin for Unreal Engine Five that integrates. Uh, the maps immersion mode into Unreal Engine Five, and you can make a full animation. Like you can animate the entire world. You can turns the entire world into a sandbox. That's really cool. Yeah, pretty insane. I wonder. Uh, I wonder then, could you use that? Like, if you're doing an open world game, could you use like my son plays a lot of Forza and that sort of stuff where they've yep. got they've got a map through the Gold Coast. I wonder if you could use that plugin in order to pull those maps in. It's exactly what you would it. use it for. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so you know how awesome. Microsoft Flight Simulator does that with the real yep. world? Sim- yeah, that's ex- yeah. exactly the same thing. Yeah, cool. Um, and, and Magic Photo Editor. Magic Photo Editor, I yeah. love this. I thought this was the coolest thing I'd seen. So the, the, the demo was really cool in that there was a photo there and there was a child sitting on a bench with a bunch of balloons and half Feels the balloons it. were out of shot. So... They just picked up the child with the bench and the balloons and just moved it across in the photo, and AI filled it all in. 
yep. or Magic Editor filled yep. it all in. Now, it's- since then, uh, Adobe has come out with uh, generative fill in Photoshop now. So in the current beta, ver- beta version of Photoshop, you can highlight an area uh, like you normally would. And normally you just pick fill, gradient, or whatever, and you just fill it. But no, yep. now you do generative fill, and it just populates the whole thing. The video that I saw is like a shot of a guy like from the waist up, and they make the picture bigger and then highlight it, uh, and then it, the generative fill draws in the legs and the pants and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing um, graphic designers doing this 15, 20 years ago where they'd they would manually have to – I can't remember what the tool is that they used to use in Photoshop, but it was like a rubber stamp tool. And That's heel. That's the yeah, heel tool, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it would just pick up bits from, from around it and sort of blend them together. Yeah, but no, this is like literally two, two clicks and it's done. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I is, yeah, it's same sort of thing. What else was there? Gen AI on Sheets is cool as yes. well. Yes, oh, that was really cool. Like the yeah. whole – yeah, start me a sheet up that does my dog walking business with business, times yeah. and rates and that's so cool. I'd, I'd imagine you could probably have like if you've got a data set as well, you could mark data set and say, you know, create me a form or a pivot table or something from this and boom, it would just work it out. Yeah, well, it's the same as in docs. You can you can get it to write a, a, a letter for you essentially. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah and, and same with in email. So in Google Workspace, if you've got Google Workspace, you get a um, – I think the example that they showed there was uh, a flight was cancelled. You get an email with a voucher number for your, for your flight and you can, you can tell AI to, um, to draft an email to say, no, I want a full refund instead mm. and it'll go through and do the whole, whole thing for you, which will save a whole lot of time. Because oh, I rewrite sorry. emails about five times before I send them. Or you, you're searching through your sent items for one similar that you sent before. It's like, well, no, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> because think- if you could, you could train it on your emails you've already sent, so it writes it in the style of like the way you would write an email. Oh, I yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and the RCS. last two were, were a bit – well, RCS is cool, yeah. Yeah, is everyone going to get on board? There was, there was a couple of little digs at Apple during that yes. talk, I think. <laughs> Yeah, there was there was definitely a um, a poke at Apple there, but uh, but I mean, obviously, I'm on a Pixel, so I'm using RCS. And for those who don't know, RCS is Rich Communication Services, um, which basically allows you to have a, a it's a more dynamic um, conversation than SMS and MMS. But it's yeah. more like a chat room than it is a an SMS. Yeah, and it 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 makes emoji. Um metadata and images and that universal between all the messaging platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Stickers and things, they all always appear yeah, the same. Yeah, that's it. Respon- yeah. Like um, taps on text, like your, your response is on a text. Instead of sending an emoji as a response, you can just, um, you can like thumbs up a specific message. Mm, mm. Uh, and the last two I thought were a bit gimmicky. We had Magic Compose and Gen AI Wallpapers. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm. I don't know either. Like, I don't know. And the kids will like it. Like Magic Compose, you can like reply to messages like in certain styles, and sort of gives you suggestions of good ways to reply. I should use that to start replying to messages like Captain Hook or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and Gen AI wallpapers, I thought it was cool. You could do the cinematic wallpapers. It would do like a. Uh, what's it called? An animated still, you know, where you, you do that, you cut the foreground out and have the background. You can just do that with AI now yeah. uh, on your phone. And then I imagine you tilt your phone and you'll see the image tilt backwards and forwards, three dimensional like. Yep. Um, so there's some cool things that came out of the, out of Google AI. Yeah. Cool. That was good. It, it was was really fun to watch that, uh, that 16 minute overview of what's come out. Yeah. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, and I think I just called it Google AI, by the way. <laughs> IO? AI? Uh, well, but, um, there was a lot of AI in it. A lot of AI in it, exactly. <laughs> we, we'll just get, go a quick update here. The uh, Paris outage we reported on a couple of weeks ago. Um, all fixed. It's all fixed. Now, you said you had the outage report there, Ian. Yeah, so I've, I, I looked on the uh, – so Google's got their, their status page for cloud, yep. um, and there's an incident there for it, obviously. Um, it was a fairly decent-sized incident. 
Uh, they're saying that it affected services including Compute Engine, Kubernetes Engine, Bigtable, Persistent Disk, Cloud SQL, and File Store. Uh, but on the 10th of May at 15.38 US Pacific time, I don't know what that uh, works out to be in our time because the US are, what's that, eight hours behind GMT? Yeah. Thereabouts. Uh, yeah, they're saying that it was that it was now fixed. Uh, but it was interesting, the The root cause of it was um, a water leak occurred mm-hmm. in one of the data centres, right? We all, we all knew that. We reported we knew, on that a while ago. Yeah, yep. water ingress, yep. So that led to a fire in the battery room, right? So that shut down. Um, the, the water leak initially impacted a portion of Europe West 9A. Yep. Uh, however, the subsequent fire in the battery room, required all of Europe West 9A and a portion of Europe West 9C to be temporarily, pow- temporarily powered down. So this right. sort of this suggests to me that probably there's a dependency on those two, um, on, the, on the battery room between those two data centres, and they're probably not quite as segregated as they should be. Mm. Um, but that's, that was the initial cause of it. So... They and I think the water, the water leak was caused by a pump malfunction. There, yes, a, it a was. A cooling pump malfunction. Yes, yep. it was a cooling tower that, that uh, failed. So now the, another article that, that we have here uh, said that the French um, the firefighters that came in response to this had to tread carefully around electrical fires, um, and this one generated a lot of heat, so much so that it was hours before attempts at extinguishment were possible and or safe. Right. That's 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 a bit scary. Real. I mean, realistically, you've got large amounts of batteries. These data centers don't use a small amount of power. No. So when you sort of when you have to use uh, battery power, um, there there'd be some fairly hefty cables there. Or or would uh, they be? Were the batteries on fire? Would they be lithium or lead acid batteries? Well, and this is what I I don't know. So I mean, obviously, a lot of information about how. Google runs their data centers is fairly um, hush, uh, hush. fairly hidden. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but I would I would assume that given that there was a water leak there, that they were they could have been either. Um, mm. Because if they were lithium, we know that lithium does burn lithium batteries. Or, yeah, and they yeah. and they're they're deadly toxic when they do. So yeah, they so- release lithium sulfide, which is fatal. Yeah, so if there's a lot of lithium batteries burning, that would be, A, a lot of heat and mm. a lot of noxious gases. So that you would think that the firefighters would not want to go into that. Yep. But even if it's lead acid, lead acid batteries, when they go up, they go mm. up um, They go up with a heck of a lot of heat. Mm. Um, you just got to think of vehicle fires, vehicle fires that are battery or electrically generated. Um, if you've got a badly wired 12-volt system in your four-wheel drive, uh, that can cause your your vehicle to go up, and and uh, it's all over Red Rover. You saying something about my twelve volt wiring? <laughs> no, more likely mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Um, but all fixed now, so we're good. Yep, Paris is yeah, good. all fixed. Paris is not burning anymore. Okay, nope. good, good. All right. Uh, and then just quickly before we get onto the news items, uh, Ben Cotton, uh, yeah. head of the Fedora program, no more. That's it. So Red Hat announced uh, a 4% reduction in global staff and Ben Cotton, unfortunately, uh, was one of that of those 4%. Uh, so um, he actually said he, he created a blog post uh, early in May to say that while I won't be contributing as a pro- Fedora program manager anymore, I was a Fedora contributor be- long before I joined Red Hat and I'm not letting them take that away from me. I'll yep. still be around Fedora in ways that spark joy, although perhaps not much at first as I let my wounds heal. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's fair enough. That's understandable, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's still going to be around. He's still going to make sure the project's going. I mean, you know, the, dooms, the doomsday people would say, that's it, that's, that's the end of Fedora, no more Fedora. Well, and that's it. So there was, there's actually a note at the bottom of the article here that says, um, conspiracy theorists will no doubt fear that this mm. spells the beginning of the end for the distro. Um, especially after the way that Red Hat treated CentOS, mm. uh, although there's no reason to jump to that conclusion. Like at the end of the day, 
if Fedora is a very, very crucial testing ground for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, it's where all of the bugs get discovered for RHEL packages. And so I don't think Red Hat's going to get rid of that anytime soon. Yeah. Yep. They need that. They need it as much as you know, the users of Fedora need them. Yeah, that's right. All right, cool. Should we get on with some news items? Let's do it. Let's let's get on with the news items. And first cab off the rank today is dot zip domains. Uh. Is it uh, Google releases dot zip domains and the internet destroys itself? Oh, this this was nuts. <laughs> so when I first saw it, I was like. What's the big deal? It's a .zip domain. I mean, we had .com. Yeah. And uh, yep. and for those of us who are old enough to remember, a yes. .com file is an executable file in Windows. That's so, right. Or in but we don't, we don't have .exe though, do we? No, we, don't we don't. .exe, no. But, but we have .com and a dot, a .com file was an executable inside of, well, it, was, it actually wasn't Windows, it was DOS back then. That's right. Um. And so I was like, eh, what's the big deal? But then you think about it more and go, okay, back then there was, I don't know, let's say 500 million people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, these days, there's a few more than that. Uh, and and there's a few more malicious people on the internet, whereas back then there probably wasn't as many malicious people on the internet. Mm. Yep. And so now you've got a, a very well-known file extension that is used to distribute um, stuff in emails and uh, and and now all sorts of software like you think if you're in Outlook or or um, any sort of email client and someone sends you a zip file in there yep. um, or you you it say could be, there, could be like, a hyperlink to a malicious site yeah that's right you yeah. say hey yeah. here I've um, you like include um, familyphotos.zip in your email and then go mm-hmm. Hey, I've linked all the all the family photos that we had on the weekend in the file, like in the family photos.zip attached. Yep. And it'll hyperlink that. And all the malicious actors got to do is register that domain. Yep. And then put a malicious zip file on that domain and it'll download the zip file. Yep. Now, speaking of registered domains, there is a GitHub repo that is tracking all the .zip registered domains. Yes, there is. And um, it's scary already. And it's scary already with the stuff that's in there. Now, we've already got uh, posts on Reddit with people saying, how do I block all .zip domains on my Juniper? How do I block them all on my firewall, you know? Um, because people just don't want this coming into their environment. This is no. just a bad idea. Um, think of, Right now, actually, speaking about domains, if you go to attachment.zip, you get rickrolled, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's right. just an example of what it could be. I mean, it could easily be a malicious domain. Think about all the times blah, 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 dot zip is, has appeared on the web in you know, older documents and older pages that is now a domain and you could click on it. It'll be highlighted as a, a URL and you click on it, sends you off to that. All yeah. you've got to do is register something and it's malicious and bang, you've got your phishing attack. That's right. And that's, I, I suppose this is a thing, this is the thing with this is it can so easily be manipulated to to attack a business and mm. we've we've already seen stupid amounts of breaches this year um certainly in financial services sectors and we'll we'll get to one of them later on but doing this is like as a net, network admin i agree block the whole yep. lot of them don't yep. ever let it like star.zip gone yep in and fact I just, I just did a quick search it just occurred to me I, i'll just quickly search for office in that list and we've got microsoft-office-update.zip yep right uh, Microsoft Installer.zip, yep. Microsoft Office.zip, Microsoft Office Installer.zip. You can bet they're all phishing domains. Yeah, hundred percent they yeah. are. There was there, there was a video there that um, that showed, I think it was Microsoft Office.zip, and it downloaded Installer.exe. I can guarantee <laughs> you that Installer.exe doesn't install Office. No. <laughs> um, but and then there's there's other things like. Uh, like the the slashes, so obviously in a yeah. URL, um, if you're if you're looking, there was there was an example actually in the video that we were looking at, and it showed a 
uh, a GitHub URL for Kubernetes with a at v1211.zip. Yeah, so that's the, the user tag. info field, right? That's the so, user info field before it. Yeah. But what the trick that they've used is they've used a an ASCII character for the slash that isn't actually the slash. It's a yeah. different slash that's a little bit more slanted. The U- it's the UTF homoglyph for is slash. It? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the UTF. I didn't homoglyph. know what it was called. And it's it's on a slightly on a bit more of of a bit more of an angle because usually with the user info field, um, so for those of you who don't know, the user info field is an archaic way of authenticating. And what you could do is you could do a HTTP colon slash slash username colon password at right, and yep. then that that will pass the username and password through to the website. We pretty quickly worked out that putting username and password in clear text in the URL was a really bad idea. Oh, so we dumb. don't really use it anymore. Um, but what you can do, the way that that URL gets parsed, anything after the at symbol is actually treated as a URL. Mm. But uh, if you have a normal slash in there, then uh, then that gets negated because it'll use the slashes. But what you can do is you can put this UTF homoglyph of a slash in which looks kind of the same, but it's on a bit more of an angle. Uh, and everything before the at will just get ignored. And everything after the at, which is like file.zip, that will actually become the URL. Yeah, that's right. And, and even so much so, like it, you were saying that it's on slightly more of an angle. So mm. much so that I looked at two URLs, one with the homoglyph and the other yep. one without it, um, above, above and below each other. And I couldn't tell the difference immediately that, that one had a different slash than the other. It's, it's yeah. that much of a, a well. What tiny if you difference. went to the went even further and you had a malicious website that had a font that actually had both of those that looked the same? Yeah, well, that's right. Right, then you just don't know. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. It, really really dangerous. So, yeah. um, but that's not an old trick though. That 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 UTF homoglyph thing is actually an old old trick. But this is this just makes it so much more easy to use. I'm. I'm disappointed that we haven't removed that out of the ASCII character set yet, really. There was a bug filed for it for Firefox yeah. like six years ago and they closed it. And they said, yeah, they fix. closed it, do, yeah. will not fix, yeah. 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 Yeah, Chrome had the same one. Yeah. Um, anyway, look, there's stacks of stuff around the net at the moment about .zip. I, I don't know. We'll see how long it lasts. I mean, if every, everyone starts blocking it, then the, who wants to register a domain on .zip? And you know what Google's like with things. They'll just pull it if it's not working for them. Oh, and, and look, I, I just noticed actually in the, the article that I was reading, um, Google's response to people's concerns was yeah. exactly what I said about .com before, which was is a bit freaky, um, <laughs> that... They're comparing it to .com, and I'm like, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Let's I hope know. they get rid of it sooner rather than uh, later. They're so blasé about it, and I, yeah, they, they may. I think uh, I, I don't know. They'll be. I reckon I'm going to predict it. They're going to be forced to eat their words on this one. I reckon, I reckon there's so going to be a, there's going to be too many breaches on it. It's going to get too blocked, and they'll have to pull. The or, or what's going to happen is every business under the sun is going to block them. Yep, that's what's going to happen. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I'm morbidly, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm well, not amused, but uh, <laughs> interested, <laughs> morbidly interested to see how this panned out because I kind of want to see a big breach happen as a result of this, but that would really not be good. <laughs> so. No, no, I don't, I, I don't really want to see a big breach happen, but I, I see that it's inevitable. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, all right, well, let's move on then, Ian. Let's look at a couple of new uh, features in Google Cloud. We've got Google Cloud Run Jobs. We do indeed. Uh, cron Jobs. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is basically Cron Jobs. <laughs> this, that's exactly what it is. That's, I, I, was, I was reading through the articles, and, um, yeah, it's essentially like once upon a time you would have had uh, your, your HTTP application deployed on Cloud Run, and you'd have to build in some sort of um, logic in there to trigger some other thing that triggers some other thing that you'd that have a cron running pro- on compute that would trigger your endpoint. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. Oh, it, it was it was horrendous. So what Google's done is they've deployed cron jobs in Cloud Run, which hey, is fantastic. Finally, yeah. So, um, so where would you use this? As, as some examples I gave here: batch data transformations. 
uh, just went serverless. Database migrations, serverless now. Nightly reports, uh, run to completion jobs, because that's the other thing too. You can run to completion. Yep. Long-running um, jobs. Long-running jobs is a perfect solution yeah. for that. Um, and, and then the other really cool bit, uh, which has just been announced with Cloud Run 2nd Gen, is accessing NFS. So you can do that inside of Cloud Run Jobs as well because Cloud Run's new 2nd Gen execution environment, um, whilst it has a whole heap of other really cool benefits to it, it now allows you to mount cloud storage as Fuse. Right, and we'll, we'll get on the Fuse in a minute because that's, that's, that's another feature that's come out. But mm. So in the first generation Cloud Run, you can't mount... Yeah. You can't mount you can't. volumes inside of the Linux container that runs. No, okay, because it's not it's not it's, it's a, not, not permitted. permitted in that container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now in the second gen one, you can you can mount network file systems um, of various different types. Right, right. Um, I see. So you and, can, and they say you can run your own NFS server. You can, you can. Yeah, I've run right. my own NFS server in Google quite successfully, right? Um, using ClusterFS. Uh, but yeah, so the the second gen environment. Um, is really cool. It's uh, increased CPU and increased network performance, and it gives you the ability to mount network file systems, as we just mm, said. Mm, mm. Um, and that includes like things like Cloud File Store, your own NFS server, and Cloud Storage. And Cloud Storage is using the Cloud Storage Fuse. Using Fuse. So, yep. yeah, so that's the next new feature we've got here is Cloud Storage Fuse. Now, this has been around for a little while, but but now they're supporting it I mean, it's in in pre uh, pre release um, preview, but they're offering it with Google support. Yeah, that's right. Right, because this Google Cloud Storage Fuse existed before. It's just like a community thing. Because I've I've dabbled with it before, but now Cloud Storage Fuse is available today in public preview with official Google support. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I did have a bit of a play with this, and it's a fuse. It's a fuse mount. So it doesn't perform as a native file system would. No. Um, you can expect that anyway because it's blob storage. Yep. But, uh, but it still allows you to mount a cloud storage bucket to your local machine, assuming that you're using Linux because that, that's the only way you can do it. Yep. Well, it's available uh, as a Linux package, Yep. Uh, integrations with Vertex AI, and as of today, part of the managed turnkey offering in GKE. That's right. So... Yep. The, the Vertex AI piece is Vertex AI plus the um, Deep Learning VM, uh, which is part and parcel of AI ML um, stuff and, um, and GKE. So it's a, it's a reasonable solution for those who need to store large amounts of data without having to have a um, persistent storage uh, CSI there in GKE. Right. Um, and and the ability to to mount just a general VM, yeah. Um, and I'm just I'm just reading here with the features. It does this with non-privileged access. Yes. Yeah. Cool. And gives it uh, so it's got yeah so it's more secure. Very nice. I'm I might dabble with this. I'm thinking I could create a little local Samba server that's backed with a fuse mount to bucket storage. Yep. And that'll give me. I can map that on my. Windows machine here, and that'll just give me a spot where I can just, you know, have important files that are effectively stored off-site. Yep. But it's yeah, definitely. Um, it's a roll-your-own solution. I mean, I guess isn't that what G Drive is? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Yeah. But it, it's look, it's not fast by any means of anyone's imagination, right. but it suffices if you just need to store large amounts of documents. Mm. Um, or large amounts of files, and you don't really care about the speed of retrieval. Then use it. Yeah, certainly make it easy for the quick backup, or um, you know, you don't have to faff around with uh, you know GSU tool CP and all that. You just mount a file system and just copy it into there. Oh yeah, I remember yeah. a uh, a a backup server I ran a few years ago now that uh, that would do the backups of a whole heap of Lotus Note servers. Yes, lots and lots of Lotus Note servers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then it would GSU till once the backup had completed, it would complete to a spool disk, and the spool disk would then trigger a GSU till copy command to copy that backup to a GCS bucket, and then we'd that that had last in in the standard storage for thirty days, and then it'd 
be archived. So once a month, that would be archived off to Nearline. And then the, the, local, the local copy would expire after seven days. We'd have the, the other copy in 30, and then we'd keep the, the monthly one or the have weekly a policy one. there. Yeah. Have an archiving policy to do that, yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing is it, it gives you access to your full like native tool set as well because it's just a mounted file system if you wanted to use other things, CPIO, just I, I think off the top of my head, stuff like that. Mm. Um, you, 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 just got, you can use it like you normally would. Yeah. I think uh, the one the one thing if if people are going to try it out, the one thing to be aware of is any any software that that expects fast response from a disk is not going to work well with this. You will end right. up encountering errors. Right. And how does it go with like Unix metadata? Um I didn't really test it out. I was just sort of playing with copying files to and from one of my GCS buckets. Uh I haven't really looked at the the metadata side of it, but I would assume it would keep it. Yep, yep. You would think it would have to have to be a function of the. Uh, It'd be a function of the fuse driver. The fuse driver API, yeah. Cool. Well, um, yeah, I'm just definitely keen to have a play with that one. That's that's right up my ballpark playing with little, uh, file systems, inf- infrastructure, and stuff. Um. All right. Well, let's move on with just shift gears a little bit here. Move on with a little bit of security news. Um. We had this uh, this Latitude financial breach back in March, um, and they've come out and they've announced a few numbers, saying that um, this is an article from IT News, saying that Latitude Financial is forecasting a first half statutory loss of between ninety five million and one hundred five million after a cyber attack closed or severely restricted its ability to earn income for five weeks. Yeah, that's that's crazy. The the amount of money like they're only just seeing how much money this is going to cost. Um the the remediation costs alone are in the general vicinity of a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Uh yeah. the and, and they still they they still don't know the total cost of the the incident because um, there's also still potential for regulatory fines and class actions and future system enhancements right. um, and insurance. You can imagine that their cyber insurance will go up now. Oh, well, breaches like this, I mean, it puts the insurance up for the entire industry, right? Yeah, well, that's it, right. Really, and, yeah. And, and insurance is, is a lossy game anyway. Mm. So, mm. But yeah, the, uh, yeah, they said it was closed or severely restricted for new account originations and collections for five weeks. And the company is setting aside $53 million after tax for the first half for costs associated with the cyber incident. They suggested mm. that this included $7 million in costs already incurred and an additional, 40, an additional $46 million after tax for other remediation costs, mm. which is, is, is crazy. But um, given that they lost... Uh, they they lost something like fourteen million records. Uh, I think that's probably they've probably got off pretty easy there. Yeah, the attack led to a breach of some fourteen million records containing PII latitude that is continuing to support impacted customers, both current and former. So, can we just say now, Ian, that everyone in Australia has had their driver's license exposed? It's we're almost at that point. Almost, <laughs> we're almost at that point. Oh, except for you, okay. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say I haven't yet. I, I am for those who can't see us. <laughs> I am crossing my fingers because <laughs> you know, <laughs> touching wood here. Uh, yeah. I haven't and, yet, and, and neither is my wife. But uh, and can we just say whenever there's a breach and they come out and say, "Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. No one's affected. It's only a couple of hundred customers." That's yeah. just a straight up ball face lie. They don't know. That is, that's that's that just the rule now, right? If, if anybody says it's only a couple of hundred customers, they have no idea how big their breach is. They have no idea exactly. Yep, they're just trying to hose it down. It's uh, it, and it sort of brings back that point. We were speaking about this the last time we were talking about Latitude Financial and and Medibank and all the rest of them. It's about time the government put in place a a, a signature system for. Um, or an electronic signature system for ver- mm. ID verification, so that these providers don't have to carry a copy. Hold of it. all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's it's in 
completely irrelevant to hold it, unnecessary yep. even. Yeah, and and the the more institutions that have your data, it's just making your the, attack, the attack surface vector, broader. Yeah, the yeah, surface yeah. the surface of attack is massive. Yep, yep. And I don't know, like you know, companies like this, they're, they're slow. They're slow to move. Like they are. I, I'm just. This is just, I've got no other information other than my opinion on this, but <laughs> I would imagine that, you know, they, they, they weren't modernised. Um, you know, how they probably had sort of design and thinking driven out of the 90s, um, you know, and not, um, and trying probably trying to keep the system secure and just keeping their heads above the water. Um, I only say this because they're probably not the only ones. No. In that situation, right? No, they wouldn't be, 100%. It's, but you've got to look at it at a financial services provider as mm. they're not going to be the first ones to adopt a, a specific technology or a specific cloud or whatever mm. because mm. there's unknown risks there and APRA have got very strict standards on how they need to um, provide security over it. So yep. they're, they're well, going well, we, to well, be we touched slow. on this the other week, didn't we? Putting yeah. Putting a security standard in place—that's part of the problem because they can't work outside those walls. That's right. And look, they're they're going to be slow to the party, but I I think the sooner the regulatory body gets on board and and the financial institutions get on board and start modernising, uh, the the sooner a lot of customer data is going to be safe mm. or safer. Mm. And and the government makes changes to the way this is stored and. Our, the way we're identified, really. Yeah, yeah. We we should uh, any provider. I don't care whether it's a whether it's your your telephone provider or your your electrical provider. No provider should have to store a copy of your driver's license or passport or any sort of identifying information. None of it. No. The most they one. should have is your name and address. Mm, mm. And the barcode tattooed on your arm. Because well, you know, that'd be you yeah. You know, <laughs> and a chip a, implanted in your forehead. Yeah, <laughs> and a mate of mine who actually has a barcode tattooed on his arm, <laughs> and you go. can scan it. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I was going to ask, what does it what does it come up as? Because everyone everyone else is thinking that yeah, now. It was his it was his, uh, it was his army serial number. Oh, there you go. Well, that's good. That's nice. Um, and maybe pass keys are the answer then. Well, pass keys might be a. a a tiny piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this because, I mean, Google's now come to the party with passkeys. Uh, mm. Microsoft and um, and Apple are already using passkeys. Um, passkeys are fantastic. You you log in. I've got it turned on on my private account. You log yep. into Gmail, and it just pops up and it says, um, "Select this number on on." your um, two-factor device um, to log in. So I don't need a password anymore. It's no. literally authenticating me through my phone. Yeah. Yeah, I, I set it up just now. Seamless. Absolutely yep. seamless. So if I just open up an incognito window now and go log into my, uh, my, my Google account, my phone pings me and says, did you try to log in? Said, yes. And then it requests my thumbprint. Yep. So, yep. Put the thumbprint in. Bang. It lets me in. Oh. Yeah. No password, nothing. That's great. I'm I am really waiting, and I've I was doing some research this morning on whether there is a PAM driver for passkeys in Linux. Yet there is not. Aha, aha. Because that would be awesome. Yeah. Put your name in. Press enter. Get a prompt on your phone. Bang. Just let you straight in. Yep. You go to sudo. Same thing. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I'm waiting for because that you can't get into my phone without my identifying information, and if I report my phone stolen, the only way you can get back into it is with the Titan key. Right, right. Or, you know, in my case, the thumbprint. And what are you going to do? You've got to have my thumb to get into it, right, if a phone's lost. So, yep. Nice. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think this is, uh, this is, has been a long time coming and well and truly overdue, uh, but, but I'm loving it. And 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 third parties can just use the, the Google SSO and they'll have access to it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so that's that's pass keys. I'll, I'll link a couple of um, uh, articles in the show notes, but if you haven't enabled it yet, um, then definitely go and turn that on. It was really easy, like no, like just click of a button. And because I already had the, the um, Pixel 7, it had already set up the pass key mm. on the phone already. I didn't even need to do that bit. And, and if you're if you're the administrator of a GWS workspace or domain um, or your GWS admin, you can set it up for your entire organization. Mm, mm. So all they've got to all they've got to have is the Gmail app installed on their phone, and it just works. Or in your work profile. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're an Apple user, you don't have a work profile because uh. you know, <laughs> everything gets mixed up and. Yeah, comes asking you side. which account. <laughs> oh, horrible! You just yep. give me cold chills now. Just thinking yeah, about yeah. that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, guys. Go set up passkey. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, now this one, this one was cool. Um, Google has uh, Google Cloud's unveiled a new A3 GPU supercomputer. Yeah, uh, this is cool. Yeah, so the A3 GPU is just a supercomputer. Cutting-edge technology that will reshape the landscape of machine learning and digital content production. Uh, now, these A3 supercomputers consist of the NVIDIA H100 GPU. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but just coincidentally, Linus Tech Tips did a... They went to NVIDIA's... Um, conference that they had, their show-and-tell conference that they had on recently. Computex. Um, Computex 2023 it was. Computex, yeah. And they had some uh, chassis of the, uh, they call it the Grace Hopper module, Mm. um, NVIDIA's Grace Hopper module there. And what it is, so the the Grace CPU, there's there's sort of two components. You've got this Grace CPU, which is actually an ARM CPU. And uh, it comes in a module. Now you get you can get a dual CPU module, and the module is like a whole thing that 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 you. I don't know. I kind of think of a, a when when the Pentium Four came out and you plug the whole Pentium Four into oh, the motherboard. Yeah, the old, yeah. The old slot one. <laughs> the old slot ones. That's yep. it. Like that, but like way bigger and a different type type of slot, yeah. right? It, it's like that, and it's got this. Um, it's got the memory integrated to it, and it's got this thing called the NV Link. Right, yes. the links the two CPUs this together. This was really impressive. Yeah, so so you get this, um, the, the you get the dual Grace ARM CPU module with the NV Link. Now the NV, just to give you some numbers, the NV Link does gives you nine hundred gigabytes per second of bandwidth between the two CPUs. Bidirectional and too. Bidirectional. Now put yeah. that in perspective. A Gen 5 16x PCI bus would give you about sixty four gigabytes per second. Uh, so, you know, order of magnitude there, nearly two, uh, between the C- two CPUs. But then there's another module that they've got, which has got this H100 Hopper GPU on it, and they call that the Grace Hopper module, right? So you've got the you've got a Grace ARM CPU and the H100 Hopper, Hopper GPU on there. Plus you've got this memory, this HPM, HPM3 RAM, which get this runs at four terabytes per second yep. between the RAM and, and the and CPU. And it's it blindingly fast. the The thing that the thing that everybody's got to understand about these is they're exactly the same as the uh, the M1 chip or the M2 chip that Apple puts in their ARM, uh, machines. Yeah. At the moment, they're an ARM chip. They're they're a, essentially a system on chip. Is the memory and everything is is bundled in with them. So you've got to pick the amount of RAM that you want when you That's order right. it because yep. you can't upgrade it ever. So Mind you, it's like you, do, do you want do you want the uh, five hundred and twelve gigabytes of RAM or do you want the four terabytes of RAM? <laughs> well, the, so the actual Grace CPU only supports up to four hundred and eighty gigabytes of RAM, and I say oh, only oh, supports oh, up to four hundred and eighty oh. gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible, yeah. I know. Um, but its memory bandwidth is 512 gigabytes per second, ah, which is yeah. is phenomenal. Um, and then you've got you've got the H, uh, the, sorry, the NV Link CPU to GPU, yeah, uh, link that sits in between it because these modules sit right next to each other, right the, next to each board. other on the die. They're, yeah, they're well, they're, they're, they're literally like separate two dies, but but it's mm. that's right, they connect together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you've got 900 gigabytes per second of bidirectional bandwidth between them, 
and then you've got 96 or up to 96 gig of this HBM3 memory on the GPU mm. that runs at four terabytes per second. But that wasn't the thing that impressed me. Oh, okay. <laughs> the thing that was impressing me is, is just the stats on the GPU. Yeah, have a look at the stats on the GPU. So I actually managed to pause uh, this the is a Tips H- video. This- yeah, right when he was showing the 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 specs. The H one hundred. Yeah, yeah. So your FP sixty four is thirty four teraflops. Your FP sixty four Tensor Core is sixty seven teraflops. Um, and then you go into like your TF thirty two Tensor Core is nine hundred eighty nine teraflops, and your B Float sixteen is one thousand nine hundred seventy nine teraflops, and it just keeps going. It is an absolutely phenomenal GPU. And you can only you can only imagine how much it makes a like the latest um, GeForce card look like a like a an S three Verge from nineteen eighty two. But will it run Crisis? That's the question we're all asking. <laughs> probably not because it's ARM. <laughs> probably not. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you could probably run Doom on it. I bet you someone's trying oh, to run Doom on it. <laughs> oh, undoubtedly, someone has already ported Doom to it. It would but be the, the fastest. But even running the hardware. Doom. Even the hardware was cool. It was, it was like a 3RU like server form factor with these caddies that slid in and out of the back. Yep. And you could have, what, four caddies in four. there, I think? Yeah, and then, so it's a gig- and then each was- caddy had a CPU module in it. Yeah, so it was yeah, the Gigabyte server. Mm. And, yeah, it supported up to four of these um, Grace super chip modules, which is the two um, Grace CPUs. Oh, which pull 1,000 watts each, Which pull 1,000 watts each. Over, yeah. Each one of these CPUs is 72 cores per chip um, and it contains the NVLink and it's got uh, up up to 480 gig of RAM on it. So, yep. I yep. mean, they're not slouches by any means. Yeah, so we're getting excited about these A3s, which uh, I don't know, when are we, we going to get access to them? Are they, well, not that I'll be getting access to them, but uh, are they available now? I don't know. If the I, don't know. I haven't seen. I haven't seen a date for it in the in the article. Right. Uh, yeah. The they're, art, this art, they're not cheap though. No, they won't be cheap. But if you're training your uh, large language models, then this is the way to go. Yeah. Well, the, the, I remember Linus Tech Tips uh, mentioned in the in the video that the the Gray Superchip module is a hundred thousand dollars each. Yes. Each. Yep. Yeah. Ah, you know. Get a few yeah. thousand of them in a data center. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Should we move on with the AI wars? AI wars. All right. Well, we tried to get to this article uh, when we did the Bruno Aziza show the other week, but... Um, yeah, time ran out, and uh, it might be old news now, but there is a leaked – well, yeah, it is a leaked memo, but, you know, we kind of all saw this coming from, from Google saying, we have no moat. Um, open source is going to be the winners when it comes to AI. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was, this was early May, um, and, and it was always going to happen. Uh, mm. Meta, Meta's Llama uh, model was leaked somehow. That's and right. Open source got hold of it. Um, the thing that the the things that that sort of stood out to me were um, Google pointing out very rightly that uh, open source is doing things with a hundred dollars and thirteen billion parameters that Google yep. is struggling with at ten million dollars and five hundred and forty billion parameters, and they're doing so in weeks and not weeks. months. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is which really is the the whole premise behind open source you you deal with the resources that you've got and you've just got a ton of hands yep so in the space of three weeks we went from and we reported on all this at the time we went from mm. llama 13b to apaca 13b and then vincuna 13b and we're saying um i mean this is of, of when this was early this was fourth of may mm. um it was saying if chat gpt was a hundred percent Vincuna is reaching ninety two percent, yeah, and Bard at the time was reaching ninety three percent. So, as a few that's a month ago now, I mean, someone needs to rerun these numbers again because this is just changing so quickly. Yeah, that's right, and and I think I think Google pointed that out in the in this email, um, and it's uh, again it's allegedly mm-hmm. uh, 
they, it says in this email, while our models still hold a slight edge in terms of quality, the gap is closing astonishingly quickly, which mm, is mm. which is exactly what we've seen. the The gap that that's in the open source version is is like their their quality is accelerating at a phenomenal rate. Yeah, I think the 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 call out here that I that I really sort of like is Google saying that. Um, in order to establish themselves as a leader in the open source community, um, instead of ignoring open source AI, they should take the lead by cooperating with them um, and cooperating with the broader conversation as well. Uh, and I think that's probably a responsible place to be because I suppose my my biggest concern is that uh, whilst you've got open AI and you've got Google and they've got very specific morals around how they're developing their AI. Mm. Um, it doesn't take much for someone in the open source community to decide that um, they want to do something nefarious with AI. Well, we're already seeing that. We're seeing AI models being released that don't have safeguards or they've yeah. had safeguards stripped off them. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, it right. takes me back to there was a JavaScript package uh, probably two years ago now, when the war against uh, war between Russia and Ukraine first broke out, mm. and the developer was so disgusted with what Russia had done that he put some code into the into this JavaScript library that he built. That if it detected your computer come from Russia, it oh. it deleted everything. Oh, so I mean, it doesn't take much. For that sort of stuff to happen, and so it was like a intentional supply chain attack. It was a hundred percent. It was from yeah. the creator, and, yeah. And this was it was a big library too. It wasn't a small little library that's got like yeah. ten thousand downloads. This was a massive one that had hundreds of thousands. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's great about this article, and the bit that I found really fascinating, was the timeline that they spell out towards the end of the article. Mm. Um. And you can see how quickly this progress happens. So February 24th, this is this year, uh, Llama is launched. March 3rd, uh, Llama is leaked, right? So that's the the Facebook uh, model. So yep. that, that was leaked. Then March 12th, um, uh, large, large ring models on a toaster. Um, so they started running it on a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> Uh, March 13, it got fine-tuned um, and uh, a Pacalora uh, repo was, was running on a laptop. Mm-hmm. March 18, uh, it got optimised, uh, started using this thing called 4-bit quantization, made it really fast. March 19, the 13B model achieves parity with, par- with BARD. So, well, I mean, that's like space of three weeks. Yep. Um. March 25, uh, chat, uh, GPT for All came out. March 28, a bunch of stuff happened on March, towards the end of March. And then um, April 3rd, um, people can't tell the difference between 13B and chat GPT. And then April 15, uh, uh, RLHF, uh, this is the um, This is the human feedback. Yeah, human feedback thing is launched on, mm. on chat GPT. Yeah, so, um, we need a little update on that as well because there's, you know, been only been a few weeks since then. I'm sure heaps has happened. Yeah. Well, oh, not- the interesting thing to point out here is that when it was originally, when this uh, Llama, Meta's Llama was originally released mm. uh, or leaked to the public, it didn't have RLHF in it. And so in the matter of, what's that, six weeks, mm. maybe, uh, the open source community has implemented RLHF and got it running on a Raspberry Pi and got it running on a MacBook Pro and got it running on laptops and it's it's just gone from strength to strength to strength to strength. It says here, it takes RLHF from unachievable to cheap and easy for small experimenters. Yep. And yep. you have a look at the training costs that they've got included in this article. It's like real humans can't tell the difference between 13B open model and chat GPT. The training cost was $100. Mm, mm, mm. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's been a spate of things come out since then. I mean, one of the things I've kind of been following is the integration of chat models into gaming. Mm. Um, 
there's, I don't know if you've ever played Skyrim, but there is a mod for Skyrim that's come out that puts a language model into each NPC. And you can walk up to the non-player character and have a conversation with them. Oh, that's awesome. And they they seed the the model with just a few bit of information on the background of the individual and you know where they live and who they are and it you can have a whole conversation. That's awesome. That yeah, really, really is. Awesome. And that was where we always knew AI was going. Anyway, gaming was always going to be a, a prime use case. I think I think the interesting the thing that stood out in this article for me was um, they tested hallucination in Palm Two. Yeah. So hallucinations when when the AI model will will speak just straight out lies. Um, yes. So that that old thing where you where you ask ChatGPT which uh, who has the bigger language model ChatGPT or or um, Google AI or Bard, and ChatGPT will tell you that that Bard has far more parameters than ChatGPT, and then in the next sentence it'll say, but ChatGPT is the biggest bigger language model, and it's like, <laughs> but no, you've just said it's not. Um, yeah, so they tested uh, hallucination inside of Palm Two, uh, and it appears that it's been tamed very well from speaking outright lies. Okay, yeah. so I just did. A, I asked it which is better, Bard or ChatGPT, and it's replied with Bard and ChatGPT are both large language models, but they have different strengths and weaknesses. Interesting, mm-hmm. and it's given me a table here. Uh, Bard five hundred forty billion parameters, ChatGPT one hundred seventy five billion parameters. Bard free, ChatGPT paid. Nice. Overall, Bard, a good option for users who need a language model that can answer questions and generate creative content. ChatGPT, a good option for users who need a large language model that can generate and summarize text requests. Okay. Interesting. There you go. So it is answering the question. All right, well, look, uh, we've gone on for long enough. We might finish it up there. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, mate, that sounds good to me. Yeah, it's good, it's good. Um, all right, look, don't forget to go to iTunes and write the show a review. That'll really help the show out. Uh, you can contact the show, gcplife at casla.com.au. We've got the Twitter there, at gcplife, and I cross-post on my LinkedIn as well. Don't forget to give us a little bit of feedback on those posts as well if you've got some ideas for the show. Uh, you can look us up on the website. You can just Google that, and you'll see Ian's picture there now. That's all nice and updated. And uh, don't forget, today's sponsor is Kasna. At Kasna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. I think I've said enough. What about you, Ian? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I've said enough too. (laughs) All right. We'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. I think I've said enough. What about you, Dave? Oh, oops. <laughs> Dave's, not, Dave's not here, man. <laughs> that goes into the outtakes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Right, let me try that again. <laughs>